Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, this is Mark Lee Morrison from the podcast Low Profile. I live in Olympia, Washington with my wife and two daughters, and I support Vishkana's creative control on Patreon, because I appreciate his journalistic integrity. Vish talks with a lot of artists I care about, and he never asks any boring questions. I love hearing his interviews, and as a Patreon supporter, I get to hear even more of them. If you enjoy Creative Control too, I implore you to join me as a sustaining contributor. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash Control today. Without any further ado, friends, I bring to the stage a man who is both an officer and a gentleman. Please give a New York City welcome to Eugene Marmot! Thank you all so very, very much. Eugene Merman is a tremendously funny comedian who is currently based in the state of Massachusetts, a beloved stand-up and writer with an idiosyncratic bent towards the absurd and specials and albums released by the likes of Suicide Squeeze and Sub Pop. Merman is also a published author, but is perhaps best known for his roles as a landlord on Flight of the Concords and as a boy named Gene on the hit animated series Bob's Burgers. His latest work is a very funny and moving documentary called It Started as a Joke. It traces the 10-year history of his landmark Eugene Merman Comedy Festival, which took place in Brooklyn between 2008 and 2018. And this film features appearances and performances by figures like Michael Ian Black, Kristen Schaal, Wyatt Cenac, Ira Glass, John Hodgman, Kumail Nanjiani, Reggie Watts, Michael Showalter, Janine Garofalo, Jim Gaffigan, John Glazer, Mike Birbiglia, and Bobcat Goldthwaite, among others. The film also lovingly documents Eugene's relationship with his wife, Katie Westfall Tharp, who battled cancer for almost a decade before succumbing to the disease on January 29th, 2020. 
Eugene took a short break from caring for his son at home during this COVID-19 pandemic reality to tell me all about It Started as a Joke, which was released on Video On Demand Services on April 3rd, 2020, why he started a comedy festival, whether or not his prescience about how comedy works now might mean he's a time traveler, what he and his wife hoped their son might take away from this film, future plans, and more. Part of the Entertainment One Network, with the support of listeners like you, who subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it, and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash Control. Plus, in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton. This is the 535th episode of Creative Control, featuring the very thoughtful and daringly amusing Eugene Merman, with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Uh, hi, Eugene. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm well. It's nice to uh, speak with you again. Uh, first of all, where in the world are you? I'm on Cape Cod in Massachusetts. Yes. How are things going there, given everything that's going on in the world as we're speaking? I mean, you know, everything is as good and terrible as it is anywhere else. You know, there's confirmed cases locally, but I am at home uh, and I've been self-quarantining for several weeks hmm. uh, with my son and... You know, it's we have a swing set and a backyard, so I don't know. I mean, it's it's just what it is. Uh, is is this a? Ra- I've I've heard from some people uh, who are maybe a bit like us, uh, who do spend a lot of time inside on their computers doing things. Uh, who suggest, oh, you know, it's not that much of a difference. Do you agree or or, or relate to that uh, in any way? I would relate to it more if I didn't have a toddler that I now can't bring anywhere but my own home. Mm. Yes. So, and and we can go like for walks in the forest and stuff like that, and we can go to like sort of empty, you know, beaches, not like to swim, but just to throw rocks and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, that part is, you know, uh, you know, the part where sort of there isn't. You, you, you like anything to do or, or, or you know in that sense is okay but the part where I like I'm actively taking care of a child that can't go anywhere is like that that is hard yeah well I, I have two children small children of my own and uh we're, my wife and I are both working from home uh it's complicated it's very complicated uh but yeah. uh but what are we going to do this is what we have to do yes exactly yeah. yeah uh I want to start off right away or almost right away by um Expressing my condolences to you uh, over losing your your wife Katie to cancer. Uh, it's I'm I'm devastated by it. Uh, if that makes any sense to you, uh, we don't know each other very well, but yeah. uh, uh, I just wanted to say that right away and um, and ask cool. how, how you and Oliver are kind of doing. Uh, thank thank you. Um, uh, you know, I mean, it's very strange. I mean, we've gone from or I, like I was so focused. I mean, just grieving and sort of just kind of navigating everything with him to, uh, you know, in lockdown in a pandemic, you know, it went from just like trying to figure out how to talk about all of this to just also being like doorknobs are now dangerous and there's no more cafes. Mm. Um, Mm. So it's just kind of strange, but, you know, I, I think, you know, we're in a sense doing as well as can be, but um, it, it, you know, it's just 
you know, hard things are simply hard. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I appreciate that. And uh, I want to I want to begin uh, asking you about this uh, this film. Um, so let's 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 jump into that. How, how did the idea for making it started as a joke kind of come about as a film? Well, I think Julie and I had always talked about trying to maybe make some sort of document of our festival, you know, and we'd never, you know, really recorded much of it because part of it was sort of that, you know, people would come and they would have fun and it wasn't being recorded to be sold or anything like that. But then as, you know, time went on and we both realized that, you know, we both had moved to Massachusetts, which is where we're both from, and that doing the festival, you know, in a sense wasn't realistic to continue we thought it would be great to try to you know document this final year okay so one of the premises of the story of the eugene merman comedy festival is that it was kind of making fun of other similar events or or, or other festivals what was sort of wrong with comedy or music festivals at the time that you started yours so to speak well you know it's funny it's not even i don't really look at, i think of it as like making fun of a thing or teasing stuff. I don't, I don't think like, I'm not sure our festival was meant to correct the behavior of any other festival. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, like, like there were things we thought were silly and we would make fun of sort of those things. I remember one year, you know, each year we would just do different dumb stuff. And one year we made up a sponsor called web thing. And then we made posters that made no sense and put them up around, you know, Bell House. And I remember overhearing people in line being like, oh, I can't believe they sold out. <laughs> so so whatever that is, that's very exciting to us. I mean, there, you know, there's a lot of festivals that have shows that sort of like will be like, here's, here's Naughty Moms, you know, and... Right. I think it's funny, but I also think it's fine. Like, if nine naughty moms want to be on a show, they're welcome to do it. <laughs> you know. Uh, so, so, in your little subtle jabs at such programming decisions or the way things were framed, did you see any improvement over other similar festivals? Did other festivals catch wind of kind of the conventions or the things you were making fun of and be like, yeah, they're right. We got to stop. We got to stop well, doing that. <laughs> not not necessarily. I mean, I have no idea. Meaning like, <laughs> I don't know if if Naughty Mom sells out, keep booking Naughty Moms. <laughs> uh, like, and if it doesn't, I don't know. Like, like I think our, our festival, we were essentially trying to sort of break even or maybe make a little bit and like kind of have fun that which is the same reason we couldn't keep doing it you know and and also there's a certain degree to which like people would commit to do it but if something came up and they would have to bail like somebody when when we screened this i think uh at south by somebody was like well why didn't you just take it to a bigger venue or something like like, why didn't we just do it at like a amphitheater or stadium and it's just sort of like our goal wasn't to figure out how to make a ton of money from John Oliver. It was just to do this fun thing for a while while we could. Yeah. No. Um, so, so, so in that same sense, I don't know, like other festivals, I think are, you know, they're probably a yearly endeavor of a group of people who are using it as their livelihood and what they're doing has to make sense in a different way than what we were doing. I mean, as you may recall, I, I've been sort of following your career and, and been a fan. We've spoken a number of times. Yes. Uh, so I, I, 
it occurred to me that, you know, this the Eugene Merman Comedy Festival is another extension of your interest in pushing absurdity <laughs> as far as it can seemingly go. And yet one of the things that we come away from with this film is that all of this seemingly self-sabotaging type, <laughs> like not taking anything too seriously, you're all thriving rather well at the moment, um, which is amazing. It's great. Um, but it does seem to me that you didn't think this was... Did you think that your comedy festival was going to last more than a year? Or, or did you really think like, ah, I'm going to do this and it's going to be... Well, I'm certainly didn't think it was going to last 10 years, but it's so absurd. Like, did you ever question the fact well, that it was succeeding? Well, I don't know. I mean... You know, it's sort of like, I, um, I don't know how to put it. It's sort of like, I don't know that I think of it as successful or unsuccessful, meaning like, I don't know that that's the standard you judge exactly a thing. We were doing a thing for fun that could that, that could be put on in this at that scale. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So did I think like we could, in a sense, indefinitely do it at that scale? Maybe we could probably keep doing it. But it's but but in terms of like it being like successful or not, I just don't know what what the you know what what it what that is being judged by exactly like meaning could could we what is that afford to keep doing it not exactly <laughs> um could we get i mean in a sense could you get tons of sponsors maybe but like to reach what's funny is like you know that the venues are only like you know they're 400 500 people so like if you're putting on shows for a total of say 3000 people or something like yeah, yeah. no one's no 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 company's going to give you a 100,000 dollars <laughs> To sponsor a festival that reaches uh, not that many people. And then also they'll probably want stuff from you. But um, anyway, yeah, I mean, I'm very glad we did it as long as we did. And and I really love doing it. It's super fun. And Julie and I will continue to do things together and put on events together and work on projects together. You know, whether it's the festival or something else, I have have no idea. Okay. Well, in the film, many of your, your colleagues view you and describe you as this key figure in, in galvanizing uh, New York's uh, comedy community. Uh, there are, as I mentioned, there are comedians that, who are featured in this film who credit you with helping them achieve the the stardom they have now. And I wonder how you process that. How would you characterize this role of yours as it's perceived by others? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I think it's very, very sweet of people. I am glad to have helped anyone I have. And, and I think that like that, you know, I appreciate it, but I also very much think that all the sort of like, we're talking about very talented, very driven people who I I, like, I wanted in my orbit as much as that in any way helped them, you know? So, so I feel like, like these, the festival, the sort of community of it, is is great you know i'm trying to put on a good show as much as they would like to be on a good show so so i think in that sense i think it's you know wonderful that people you know i think it's very sweet of people to to think of things that way but i also think of them as sort of like like inevitable and unstoppable not that anyone was trying to stop them (laughs) this made me the film made me kind of rethink my perception of your artistic instincts, if that makes any sense. Like there's a sequence where, uh, or a scene rather, where Michael Ian Black uh, is shown kind of just describing the early internet videos that you made. And I remember watching them with my friends and we would laugh uh, uproariously at these ridiculous things. And it occurs to me in watching this film, like you were 
and I think maybe they're getting at this too. You're, you were kind of are ahead of your time. I know this is going to be very difficult for you to speak to, but it feels to me and, and to your colleagues that you were kind of ahead of your time. You had instincts for where comedy might be going uh, because I think a lot of what you used to do has been borne out by the way we process culture, the way people uh, access the internet as as artists and as fans. Yeah. Do you feel not? I'm not trying to get you to say I was right or what what have <laughs> what have you. But do you have a sense of that? Like I was kind of like, onto something. I mean, I feel like definitely like starting in the you know mid late '90s, I was making sort of these strange two camera videos that are now. I think, you know, much, much more common Yeah. in sort of one of the ways that people do comedy. So, yeah, and I think, in t- I mean, it's, it's funny because in certain ways I try to incorporate, yeah, I guess, but, but also, like, I would say technology or something, but, but some of it is more that I would do what I, like, use what I had access to to try to make funny stuff. And also those videos, you know, I couldn't put myself on television um, because no, because that's a thing people can't do. But you, but I could make a video that I would put on the internet, and this is before YouTube, mm-hmm. and have that you know emailed around to people. I could make a funny website that gets sent around, and that's one way to sort of try to become a full time comic. So I, I partially was doing, you know, one what I thought was funny, and then two anything I thought I could to sort of create a career um so is and it, a lot of is that yeah. is it gratifying for you to think that you were like i say again awkward you are ahead of the curve is what i'm getting at and like i say a lot of your peers basically say the same in their sort of testimonials about you this festival your work ethic do you feel that way i mean i uh, i i don't <laughs> i i don't know like sure i feel like i did the things i did meaning like <laughs> i uh, i I don't know, like, I, is is the question what, the kind of comedy I did from like like starting in like the late '90s is now the comedy of today, and I uh, and the only thing that was missing is me in like 1998 going, I know what's coming. You have I'm ju- you ready have- for it, and <laughs> you will be unprepared. As I recall, you have done bits about time travel in the past. It's you true. played characters who have traveled through time. I'm. I'm starting to wondering, you know, I'm just wondering how close to fact those 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 uh, you know, bits were. I think maybe you are you hiding something? Are you a time traveler, Eugene? That if I <laughs> if I was, I would have, you know, I tried to get uh America to be more prepared for the pandemic, but I think I would have tried even harder if I was a time traveler. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. You um, in terms yeah. of in terms of you being uh, a tastemaker, if if you will. What about the music in the film? I, I I just realized as we were speaking, I was just thinking about the magnetic field songs, the Robin Hitchcock uh, songs here. Um, talk, can you talk about that? The the choices you made here. Uh, well, so Julie directed and edited with the editor of the film with us giving feedback, but obviously the music is stuff that we you know both found though some of it she, she you know was was stuff that we, you know we both found together um but it's a lot of you know bands we like there's the song bushel and a peck by doris day which is a song that katie loved mm-hmm. and really reminds me of her yeah there's a and a lot of it is also bands that we know and love new pornographers blitz and trapper you know so so i'm 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 actually you know really really thrilled and then of course robin 
playing his song at the festival and that being in the film, you know, I really love. So uh, I was very excited about getting to use and being able to use all that music that, you know, is great. Death Cab for Cutie. It's, it's, uh, a, it's great. It actually adds a lot of flavor. I'm, in particular, I'm thinking of the rather long sequence, uh, and I'm, the, the name of the segment is escaping me, and I know it's a really simple name, but of Ira Glass and a lot of you getting just completely hammered. Yes. What was the, what's it called? Again? That was the, the drunk show. That was the, <laughs> the talent drunk show. show. <laughs> it was a show called The Talent Show that diff- did different themes, and that time it was The Drunk Show. Yeah. So is this, I had not heard of this. I, I unfortunately never got to, I always made a plan to try to attend one of these festivals, but I just never, up in Canada, I never got the. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I never got around to it, and I'm sorry. I just want to apologize for not attending. I, I feel like maybe... That's- if I had, it'd still be going if I went, probably. I'll, I'll try to do a silly show sometime in the future that you can come to. Okay. All right. I, I appreciate that. But this Ira Glass sequence, is this sort of uh, the stuff of lore? Is, do a lot of people talk about the drunk show in your circles? Because I just had not heard of this. Um, You know, me- medium. I think it's more... So I think the year it happened, maybe Time Out New York, like had a list of like the hundred best shows or something of the year and maybe did put it at like number one or something like that. But not specifically, you know, not not more than other sort of things, I guess, Um, (laughs) you know, but but yeah, it was a crazy show. Are there similar shows that you uh, that made a. some kind of draft uh, or edit of the film that ended up being cut that you want to highlight? Just something that you thought, man, it, it kind of sucks we couldn't fit this in, but but this was also an incredible thing. No. I mean, there, there, there were performances in the festival, and I don't know if some of it involved, you know, what, you know, what it was. But, but um, no, there, there isn't anything... Like, there wasn't, like, something that we really wanted to include specifically. I mean, there's, there's so much... You know, there are things that we just like never taped. Like the first, the very first year, Julie got uh, the musical guest to be John Oates. Um, right. right, right. <laughs> and and what's so funny is he did two songs, and for the first song, a lot of people thought it was Fred Arbison <laughs> doing a character. This is before I think he did. This is actually I think right before maybe how he got the idea to do Oates on SNL. But um, and then and then after that. Like he told a story, and then people were like, "Oh, this really is. This is John Oates, <laughs> you know." And that was awesome. But we don't have a recording of it, and you know that was a sort of really fun, kind of amazing thing. And I don't know if we have footage of our like 
I think we have footage of the awkward party bus or, you know, we one year, I think, had a limo that would shuttle people to the subway. Yeah, I think that might have been our first or second year. And I think that was because Julie and I literally walked past like a limo waiting somewhere and asked, maybe she did, asked how much it would cost to have them shuttle people for five hours the next day or something. Uh, I don't I don't remember exactly. But I think it's more stuff like that than any specific show. I enjoy the fact that you made and make things that are so surreal that people in the moment can't trust it. They can't trust that it's actually John Oates. Yeah. Yes, which is much better than a pretend John Oates. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it started as a joke, eventually uh, pivots from a story about, you know, the silly comedy festival, and it becomes this very personal story about you and your wife, Katie. And as Katie says in the film, and as those of us uh, who have followed you know, you don't generally talk about serious aspects of your personal life in your, your comedy. Reflecting back on it now, why do you suppose you felt like talking about this in your act uh, and, and telling your story in the film in this way? Well, so I think there's a few things. One is, in general, my comedy is stuff that happens in my life. It just is often not exactly personal, though I think the takes of it and the tone and the some of the emotions sort of are. And with this, you know, cancer had become such a big part of our life for a very long time. And I, you know thought and i wanted to try to do it basically i wanted to sort of and to try to do that and then there's also i think a part of me that you know in general i'm partially private for myself but also for like on behalf of like katie or on behalf of someone else even though katie actually i think was very happy with and, and in general would almost make fun of me for never talking about her or like things to do with us on stage um mm -hmm. And so I, I, you know, thought it was, it would be, you know, again, I think like, I, I don't know if saying a fun challenge is the right way to put it, because it's not exactly, but I, I, just, I wanted to try it. And it, it had also become so much of, you know, you know, we would, you know, we went to the hospital like once a week for, you know, eight, eight years or whatever it is, yeah. you know, 10, 10, nine years. So, so it's sort of, you know, um, yeah, I, I think, I think it was just something that I want to try. And I guess it's also strange to document that moment since it's not exactly, you know, what I normally do, but, it, but at the same time also, I think that I, I do very much think that comedy is about relating to people. And I think if there's people who find any kind of solace in it or, you know, find it a brief distraction or something warm I, I think that's great it's a is a pretty remarkable sequence in the film where you try to bring uh this material about katie and cancer to the bell house and that seems to spark uh people like bobcat goldthwaite and john glazer i think jim gaffigan might have been either after or before you, I can't recall in the film sequence, but they, it, it's just sparks them to tell stories about cancer and disease. And, um, and it's very emotional. I, I, it's, I've watched the film as we're speaking twice now and I, I have a hard time with it. I have to say, um, and, and it's ostensibly about a comedy festival. I mean, you've made something very dynamic and emotional and, and, and heavy. I, I imagine this wasn't what you set out to do on some level. I mean, I I guess 
in a sense, I don't, I didn't, there wasn't something I set out to do, Yeah. but I think I am glad that it had, that it's emotionally resonant. You know, I think that's an important part of, I mean, movie and comedy and art, um, yeah. and entertainment. Uh, so, but, but, but a lot of the credit of sort of putting that together or much of it is on, is Julie, you know, she directed the movie and assembled it and figured out how to take these very different elements and sort of put them into one cohesive story, um, in a very caring way, you know? So I think that, you know, that's, you know, I don't, I don't know what we set out to do, Hmm. Exactly, but I feel like she she did a really wonderful job. It's a gorgeously uh, it's a gorgeous looking and well sequenced edited film. If that makes any sense, I I, I think it's wonderful. Um, I I I can't wait till there's a movie poster and on it it says "well sequenced" with an exclamation point. <laughs> please please blurb me. I, I don't I've never used "well sequenced" in in such a way, but I think that's right. I think that's the way you talk about. I went. To, I took some film classes. Isn't that what you're supposed to yeah, say? Pr- pr- probably. <laughs> I, I, I think the best comedy is both true and untrue. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, the film's title is "It Started as a Joke," and I feel like it is initially framed as being the festival that, that started as a joke. But I can't help but feel like it evolves somewhat as the film goes on to reflect other aspects of life, you know? Uh, does it mean more to you than the Eugene Merman Comedy Festival in this context? Yes. Yes, I think it does. I, I think it also is the film. Um, and I think it's, you know, sort of an apt title um, be- because of that. Does it feel like it's about life in a lot of ways? I was just having a conversation with someone about this pandemic, and he was saying, like, the comedians who are making jokes about this are baffling me <laughs> because their whole livelihoods are gone in a way, you know, doing stand-up live and, blah, and and everything else. And I said, well, I think comedians are kind of weirdly built. We've been laughing. As, as comedians, we embrace comedians, I think, because they're laughing at death. They're laughing in the face of hardship every day in some ways. And I think of you and your approach to absurdism as being like, everything's kind of a farce. Let's just make fun of it. Do you res- Does that relate? Do you relate to that? Well, I think that, I mean, you know, making fun of stuff, I mean, it's a lot of things. One, it's a way to cope. Another way is it's a way to, you know, bring moments of joy to a terrible thing. You know, it's not like I could make fun of cancer so much it wouldn't be cancer. But it doesn't mean that you have to be, you know, sad all the time, though the sadness is always there. I guess the point of this is, is you inherently have more than one emotion at any time. <laughs> yes. and, and and so I think like, yeah, everything's changing. Livelihoods are, are changing and, you know, we have to get through this. And, you know, that that's what happens with, you know, disasters and trauma and disease. So, so I don't know. I mean, I think it's very reasonable to react with comedy. It doesn't mean that the coronavirus is a terrible thing that is like changing people's lives. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. Okay. There's a moment in the film where you and Katie articulate who you think this film is for and, and maybe why it exists. Um, can you, re- can you revisit that, that scene and whether or not your opinion on that has changed in any way? I like how you're vague enough that I'm like, we made this film for John Hamm. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to be no, conscious of spoiler alerts. That's all. No, I know. I know. Yes. Uh, so we, we have a, I have a son, a three and a half year old toddler. Um, 
And, uh, yeah, we, you know, one of the things that is sweet about having this movie in this sort of document of this time is, you know, hopefully it's something that when he grows up, when he's 48, when he's, I don't know, a teenager or something, (laughs) uh, can watch and enjoy and hopefully, you know, see a little bit of his mom, though, though he, you know, we have lots of photos and videos and talk about her all the time, you know, but, but yeah, I think that there's a degree that we both kind of thought that it would be this sweet thing for him. And we hope it's true. Yeah. I, I, I think it will be. Um, and it is that, uh, what about in terms of uh, what it says about comedy? It's, it is a time capsule for a, a point in time, uh, for comedy as well. Right. Yeah. 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 And that's, that's, <laughs> that's pretty much it. It captures this moment, your peer group, uh, have, have your friends who, uh, have, uh, were in the film, have they seen the film? Have you gotten a reception or reaction to it from them? Uh, yes, I think a lot of them, you know, we've, we screened it at South by and we, there was a, a screening in, in, um, Brooklyn and, uh, yeah, I think that, that friends have really enjoyed it and I think everyone's excited for it to come out. Yeah. Well, I know that we, we've talked about this pandemic and everything's really up in the air, but I, I would like to end by asking sort of what's next for you, if you can even <laughs> uh, maybe uh, assess what might be next for you. Do you have plans at the moment? Um, I mean, I have like projects I'm working on, uh, but I'm, I think like everyone, I'm mostly trying to get through this pandemic. And then, you know, for me in general, like, I wasn't planning on touring for a while anyway, because I, I, you know, want and need to be home for my son. But, you know, that isn't to say that I, you know, I had started doing sort of this monthly show um, in Somerville, Massachusetts, and then a pandemic stopped that. But my guess is when things return to, you know, whatever the new normal is and whether we're wearing face masks or shaking hands is no longer. Yeah happening but once we can sit within six feet of each other you know i hope to get back to doing stand-up and working on things julie and i are gonna try to start a small record label i think and you know continue working on projects i did a podcast a while ago that i really enjoyed doing so maybe that's something that i would do again uh but basically i'm gonna try to largely do projects i can do from home meaning in 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 my town not at my house and then you know we'll go from there okay it's been what five years since your last album right i think that's right the nine yes yeah right yes exactly it has it has been five years i mean and again i think it's you know it's you know obviously i haven't toured nearly as much and i've sort of been home with my with katie and with oliver but i will probably start writing you know and i have some new material uh or a bunch but we'll probably start writing more and doing it more once I can and hopefully in a year or two put out a new album or special. Excellent. Okay. So, Eugene, where can people go to learn more about uh, both uh, the film, it started as a joke, and and you, I suppose? I guess they can go to my website to learn about me, maybe. Probably. That's a good place. And then, uh, which is EugeneMerman.com. And then it started as a joke. Uh, You know, I think if they went to the Pretty Good Friends website, there would be a bunch of stuff on there about it and then they can just pre-order it on itunes or order it or wherever they want to it'll also be on i think amazon and voodoo and google maps 
<laughs> okay, it's not going to it's not going to be on Netflix or anything. Any uh, uh, I I think not yet, and then and you know I think it's going to stream in other places, and and then there's a distribution plan that I uh, know exists, but I don't know the its details. So maybe if you're in Australia, it'll be on Netflix. I don't really know. Okay. Well, I just I, you can buy it for now. Buy it, and I urge people to do it. It's a wonderful film. As I say, it's very moving. It's very funny. Um, and uh, it's called It Started as a Joke. Um, Eugene, thank you for this time, and thank you for all your work uh, and for speaking with me over the years. It means a lot, and I, I uh, truly do wish you and Oliver and all your friends and family the best of luck going forward. Thank you so much. Thank you for this interview. Very special thanks to you for listening to this episode with Eugene Merman, and very special thanks to Eugene Merman for appearing on this 535th episode of Creative Control. Uh, Eugene is someone I've admired uh, for a long time. I think my friend Jim Guthrie turned me on to his very first album, uh, which is called The Absurd Nightclub Comedy of Eugene Merman, uh, and it came out, I, I don't know off the top of my head, must have been 15, 16 years ago or something incredible album he's released many other albums uh, and he's we've talked over the years he talked to me for my old uh, Mish Vish interracial morning show on CFRU he talked to me for CBC about his book The Will to Whatevs uh, he's been on this episode or this show rather this podcast Creative Control uh, he means a lot to me so thank you Eugene I wish uh, all the best to you and your family as I said there I just I wish our circumstances were uh, your circumstances were better, and, and obviously our circumstances were better, but um, it is what it is at the moment. Uh, I urge you all, uh, as I said there, to check out this documentary. Uh, it started as a joke. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. So thank you, Eugene. And again, yes, thank you for listening to this uh, 535th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One podcast network and is available on all iOS and Android platforms and also other things like YouTube and Spotify and, and Audio Boom. Uh, if you can't find an older episode of the show that you're looking for, like that 2015 appearance by Eugene Merman, which might not be in the uh, podcast feeds, or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my regularly scheduled newsletter, please visit my website, Vishkana, which is spelled exactly how it sounds. You can also like Creative Control on Facebook or follow the show on Twitter at Vish Creative. Creative is with a K, by the way. Or you can follow me on Twitter at Vishkana, and Kana is also spelled with a K. Also, please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to keep this podcast going. Uh, there is a $6 or more tier now that gets you exclusive content. Uh, as we're speaking, I just recently posted a lengthy 2009 conversation that I had with Sufjan Stevens on his tour bus outside of Lee's Palace in Toronto. And so, yes, if you if you donate or pledge uh, $6 or more a month, then you have access to stuff like that. So, again, patreon.com slash creative control. Thank you for your support uh, in this day and age, now more than ever. Thanks again to Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, Planet Bean Coffee, and Granddad's Donuts for their in-kind support for this show. Uh, thanks, as always, to my good friend Jim Guthrie. As I mentioned, he introduced me to the work of Eugene Merman. And Jim lends me music for this show sometimes. The music you're hearing right now behind me, faintly, that's Jim. Go to jimguthrie.org for more information about that. Also, quick shout-out to Claudia Gonson of The Magnetic Fields for granting me permission to play a little bit of their 2008 song, 
Too Drunk to Dream, which is featured in the Eugene Merman documentary that I mentioned, uh, or that, we, that we've obviously been talking about on this episode. Uh, it's featured in the film. I wrote to Claudia today to say, "Can I? is it okay if we use that song in the show? And she said, yes. So, uh, And look out for the new Magnetic Fields album coming out in May. It's called Quickies. Maybe more information about that on the show sometime soon. That's all I have to say for now. Thank you so much for listening. I will talk to you very soon. And, and please, subscribe to the podcast, tell your friends, all that stuff. And take care of yourself. And, and hold your loved ones close. Uh, as close as you can. Because you just, you just never know. Bye for now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.